Warning. This issue of Nil Desperandum is rated R for strong language and adult content. Listener discretion is advised. Nil Desperandum 11, Smoke Signals, by Cody Quinn. Cody is a struggling and starving 24-year-old artist and college student from Connecticut, just trying to make a name in the world. This story is previously unpublished, and marks Cody's first publication outside the local college papers. I suspect it will not be the last, and I hope it will not be the last time Cody is heard from here as well. Smoke Signals by Cody Quinn Regret pulled a cigarette from her pack of camels. Rolling it between her rough fingers, she examined it closely, her deep brown eyes dissecting its details, admiring its simple perfection and soothing promise. Got a smoke? Coy asked. She looked up at him from her position on a low windowsill. Not for you. Coy settled down next to her on the cold concrete recess. They were outside, between classes, with the other smokers and procrastinators ditching class, or contemplating ditching class. Why not? he asked, closing his eyes and resting his head against the window. You don't smoke. Bah, details. Their words moved through the air in routine fashion, the running joke between them missing its usual luster. The cool of a New England fall had settled in, and both were dressed in urban camouflage to reduce the chill. He in jeans and a dark brown jacket, her in cloth pants and a green sweater. Regret held the cigarette aloft between her forefinger and thumb. You know what makes cigarettes great? No, Coy answered disinterestedly. Me neither. She knew, of course, but that was a smoker's secret, and he wouldn't understand. The paper of the cigarette felt smooth in her hand, its texture both porous and reassuring. She brought it close to her lap and continued to stroke and caress it. Coy opened his eyes. The afternoon sun was far off and plummeting toward the horizon. He turned his head toward regret to catch the golden rays haloing her auburn hair and offsetting her tan skin. Odd for a tan to carry over into the fall, he thought, but he didn't really mind. By his standards, she was beautiful. That his standard of beauty conformed to her attributes may or may not be relevant, but even though they had known each other for some years now, he still lost air when she entered a room. Regret was focused intently on the cigarette in her hand. She was singular that way. Everything outside of her cone of vision, of experience, was white noise. People were a means to an end, her end, no one much different than the others. She liked Coy, in a roundabout kind of way. He was conversation, occasionally funny, and oddly loyal. That she should find herself sitting next to him between classes was not that unusual, but to find her in the company of anyone was not at all that unusual. "'That thing's not going to smoke itself,' Coy said. He made a habit of smiling while attempting humor, otherwise people had a tendency to misunderstand his stoic manner of speaking.' His grin had the opposite effect of providing reassurance, and the gesture created shadows on his pale skin. No, it's not. 
Regret sighed. She was quite the opposite of Coy, really. Her body language was flexible, her features able to open and close on a whim, and her voice traversing the range of bubbly to serious in the span of seconds. She was speaking evenly now, contemplating the cigarette and what it meant. Besides, Coy had nothing she wanted, and there was no need to expend energy on false emotion or suggestive behavior. You know, Coy began, they say smokers are people with oral fixations. I think Jung said that. It was Freud, you idiot. You sure? What's your major? She asked, turning sharply to face him for the first time. Political science, he said, meeting her gaze. He liked the fact that occasionally he could really engage her attention, and he was enjoying himself immensely. What's my major? She said, agitated. Psychology, he replied. Now ask me again if I'm sure. Are you sure? She let out a long, deep sigh. Turning her head, she hid a smile. A reward denied Coy, but one he relished all the same. The oral stage takes place in the first 18 months of a child's life, she recited, during which the mouth is the source of pleasure. According to Freud, problems arising in the oral stage, like weaning too early or too late, may develop a maladaptive oral fixation which could lead to negative oral activities like smoking or giving too much head. Really, Coy said. Really. Regret turned back towards him to deliver her summation. And while I may have an oral fixation, you almost certainly have an anal fixation, queer. I'm wounded, Coy replied. And I was almost certain you wanted to do me. Regret's eyebrows arched up. Her attention visibly shifted from the cigarettes she had been toying with to Coy's mischievous demeanor. What? I said I thought you wanted to screw me. You know, jump my bones. Whatever it is you crazy kids call sex these days. Are you kidding me? I am not, Coy said with an air of confidence. I would rather slide down a railing line with broken glass than allow you to stick your penis in my vagina, she said. I doubt it. I'd rather get a female circumcision. I swear I'd let a team of circus midgets violate me with a red-hot poker before I'd have sex with you. Ah, milady, you strike me to the core, he said with theatrical sadness. I swear to God I would rather cover myself in baby oil, enter a prison naked, and get gangbanged by all the inmates than let you touch me. That's just wrong. I'd rather... She broke off, losing her train of thought. Suddenly quiet, she returned her focus to the cigarette. Coy, absent the reassurance of their banter, was taken slightly aback. Regret could be like this. Fluid, fun, in motion. But it was odd for her to lose her place so quickly. He wished he knew what to say to bring her back around. A clever phrase or something insightful to fill the unsettling silence. You'd miss me if I weren't around, he said, reverting back to an old standard. It's possible, she said nonchalantly. Regret elevated her cigarette until it was level with her eyes. The aroma of tobacco hung in the air, and she inhaled deeply, savoring the richness of the scent. Her throat contracted, her lungs quivered, and her heart raced at the possibility of lighting up. She could do it. She knew she could. The only thing stopping her was her questionable amount of willpower, and an unmade decision. "'Do you need a light?' Coy asked. He fished through his jacket pocket and produced a black Bic lighter. "'Why do you have a lighter?' she asked. "'You never know.' 
You never know what. You never know when you'll meet a damsel in distress. Have I ever told you you were retarded? I'm sure it's come up. You're retarded. Do you or don't you need a light? He asked, offering her the lighter. Nah, I'm good, she said. She let the hand holding the cigarette drift back into her lap where she kept her focus on it. Regret looked small to Coy. Her shoulders were hunched up and turned inward, and she had her knees practically up to her chest. He thought she resembled a wounded animal curled up to protect herself. She usually had such vibrancy, such electricity that those around her couldn't help but be energized by her presence. Today, though, she felt flat, disjointed. He looked into her eyes and saw sadness. Or maybe he was just imagining things. "'What's wrong, babe?' Coy asked. He lowered his head sympathetically and slid closer to her. "'Nothing,' she said quietly. Her stare took on new dimensions, depth of thought and storms of consciousness, as she stared at the cigarette. "'That wasn't very convincing,' he said. "'It wasn't meant to be.' "'Hey,' he said. He lowered his head a little more to try and put himself in her line of sight. I'm not going to dick you around. You know, if you have a problem, you can tell me. Her face twitched, for lack of better phrase. He could see a decision flickering across her mind, and she was torn between two options. She figured she could probably tell Coy what was happening. He didn't know anyone whom the truth could affect, and her situation was eating at her. But she needed to do this alone, she thought. This was her problem. Hers. Coy didn't put her in this situation, and neither did the boy whose wandering lips and drunken inhibitions she took to her bed. She could have said no at any time. She still could. I missed my period, she said suddenly. Coy shifted backwards a good six inches, his eyes wide and mouth agape. Bullshit, he finally said. No shit, she said quietly. What happened? he asked, moving back towards her. I had sex, asshole. He let the aggression slide. If a little verbal abuse was the price of getting her to open up, he was willing to pay it. He had before. No, I mean how? He asked patiently. Aren't you on the pill? Wasn't he wearing a condom or something? I'm allergic to the pill. She leaned back against the window, eyes closed, voice smooth as she opened up. And he was drunk, and I was drunk. And I just wanted to fuck, and he just wanted to fuck, so we fucked. That was stupid, you know, he chided. I know, she said. You know better than to put yourself in that position. I do. You know what you're going to do? No, regret said, rolling the cigarette. I don't. Coy folded his hands together and placed them in front of his lips as if praying. There was no good advice. He knew this. Anything he could say would come off as patronizing or disconnected, and would likely do regret little good. With her eyes closed, she could feel the cool air, inhale the sweet second-hand smoke, and practically hear the wheels turning in Coy's head. He'd probably sympathize with her, she thought, or encourage her to follow the decision that was right for her, some bullshit about following her heart. Of course, it wasn't that simple. She thought life was precious, whether it be the fetus expanding inside of her stomach, or her own. She was young, so young. Life stretched before now, she could see it expanding on the inside of her eyelids. Two paths, each one distinct from the other, 
and both shaded by a single decision. In one, she gave birth. She drops out of college, at least for a time, to take care of the child with the help of her parents. That means she'd have to move back home. And what of the father? She didn't need him. How would she make a living, send the child to school? God, she was such a screw-up. How could she possibly raise a kid on her own? The details were murky, and she let the thoughts swirl around in her head until they reached a fever pitch, and she had to shut them down. On the other hand, she could... Well, she could terminate the pregnancy. She visualized the prospect, the pain, the blood, the guilt of having taken a life. There was upside, though. She'd have her freedom. She'd be able to finish school, make a life for herself on her own terms, not those of what would admittedly be called a mistake. She'd retain power over herself. Her body would remain hers, if she could live with the regret. Koi watched her eyes flicker behind the lids. If she was dreaming, he hoped she was dreaming of pleasant things. But all likelihood was against that. Life wasn't about pleasant dreams or terrifying nightmares, he thought. It was about the ordinariness of monumental choices made every day in the waking world. He reached out and placed a hand on her shoulder. She opened her eyes and smiled weakly. I'm terrible at life, she said, laughing. Koi chuckled alongside her, building on his laughter until he was rocking on the windowsill. Regret smiled, her lips arcing up in a way that was more mellow acceptance than happiness. You really are, he said between peals of laughter. You're not much better, she said. No, I'm not, he said, settling down. Still smiling, silence returned. You know... Koi began, straightening up and facing regret. I'm here if you need me. I know you're short on money. If you need me to pay for anything, anything at all, I'll do it. Thanks, she said, her tone beginning to seem further away. I mean, you're young, and the choice you make will be completely understandable, he said, the unusual causing them both to become slightly uncomfortable. He soldiered on, and I won't judge you or anything. I just want you to be happy, and have all the support you need. And he did want her to be happy, regardless of everything else. She turned away, the cigarette still clutched firmly in her hand, and stared off into the setting sun. The sky was lavender, with streaks of honey and gray, and she felt at peace. He wanted to reach out, to grab her, and hold her in his arms, tell her everything would be okay, but that was not what he was to her. He could promise to help, and he will help her out, and he could promise her the moon and the stars and the sum total of his being, but at the end of today, he would still be the outsider. Her life was her own, and his role would never be anything more than ancillary. Give me that, Coy said. He reached into her lap, and with no small amount of effort, pried open her fist and removed the cigarette. Hey, she said spinning around and trying to regain the small object. No, he said, taking the cigarette and placing it in his pocket. You don't know what you're going to do yet, and until you decide, I'm going to hold on to this. I have more in my purse, she said defiantly. Yeah, but I'm not going to reach into a woman's purse. Consider this a gesture of my seriousness, and if you want this one cigarette, you're going to have to let me know what I can do to help you, and what decision you make. Not necessarily in that order.
You really are an asshole. I've been told. Regret gathered up her purse and backpack and stood up. She really was beautiful, Koi thought, even when she was angry. I've got to go to class, she said angrily. Yeah, keep me in the loop, he said casually. I will. With a quick motion, she turned and headed for the school entrance. Take care, he called out after her. She threw up her arm and gave him the peace sign, and with that, she was gone. Koi stood up. It was getting dark fast, and even with the small crowd of smokers surrounding him, he felt isolated. He ran his fingers through his dark brown hair, the feeling of any sensation helping to reaffirm that he was really here, now, with all the problems that that entailed. What the fuck, he said resignedly. He reached into his pocket and pulled out the cigarette. It felt light in his hands, but potent, full of something he didn't quite understand. He put it between his lips and pulled out his lighter. With a practiced motion, he ignited the flame, brought it to the tip of the cigarette, and took some igniter puffs. Once he was sure the death stick was lit, he placed the lighter in his pocket and leaned back against the wall. He inhaled deeply, the smoke entering his body causing a foreign, yet not unpleasant sensation, to arc and course through him. He held the smoke in for several seconds because he could, and then released it into the ebbing twilight, where it drifted upwards, outwards, and dissipated into the future. Okay, guys, I have to ask, is it just me, or have we all known women like this? I don't mean the particular situation. I mean the beautiful ones. Friendly, but distant. Unattainable. So clearly out of your league that you give up the game before even trying. You treasure her company, and every moment she allows you into her life. But you know it will eventually come to naught. Once upon a time, this was called courtly love, and it was celebrated. Some of the greatest works of literature and poetry arise from exactly these feelings. Shakespeare wrote of it, more than once. Francis Newman, writing in 1968, defined courtly love as, quote, a love at once illicit and morally elevating, passionate and disciplined, humiliating and exalting, human and transcendent, end quote. In my years, I've known many such women, sometimes as acquaintances, sometimes as friends. Women whom I knew, implicitly, there would never be any consummation with, that any desire or passion or love I may have felt toward her would only result, ultimately, in rejection. It can be painful, but it can also be glorious. Modern Western culture has pretty much wholly rejected the idea of a pure, courtly love, and I believe that is entirely to our detriment. We as men are at our best, our strongest, our most noble, when we have something or someone to elevate, to care for, and to strive to be worthy of, regardless of whether that caring, that love, is ever returned. You can show your love for Neil Desperandum by visiting our website, www. Dot ndstories.com and leaving a donation and a comment. 
I promise that we will return your love with more stories and a deep appreciation for your effort. Nil Desperandum is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. Our editor and publisher is Jim Phillips. An audio production is in cooperation with the Bear Crawling Nation. Engineer Hugh Morrison. An executive producer, Charles McFall.